Hi, it's Ben Modell. I've been doing my silent film music podcast since 2012, and a few years ago, the first eight episodes of my podcast fell off the face of the earth. Well, I still have the audio files, it's just that episodes one through eight were suddenly unavailable and no longer appeared in the show feed or online. I have no idea why this happened. Some listeners of the Silent Film Music podcast have expressed interest in hearing these shows, which is great. And so, instead of going bananas, troubleshooting what happened, and trying to fix it, I'm just going to repost each of these eight episodes. Now, keep in mind as you listen to them that they were recorded several years ago. And now, here is episode one of the Silent Film Music podcast, originally posted June 9th, 2012. I'd been blogging for six years at that point and decided to give it a shot in the format of a podcast. You'll hear me talk about playing for The Eagle at the Alden Theater, posting silent film shorts to my YouTube channel for what became the Accidentally Preserved Project. I'll talk about accompanying Raymond Griffith films and also about underscoring Ernie Kovacs. I'll talk a little bit about unidentified silent films at the Library of Congress, playing for the crowd, and playing for Chicago at the Middletown Paramount, as well as the idea of underscoring cross-cutting. Here, from June of 2012, is Episode 1 of the Silent Film Music Podcast. Hi, I'm Ben Modell. I'm a silent film accompanist. And welcome to my silent film music podcast. I've decided to launch this podcast to replace the written blog I have quote-unquote been trying to maintain over the last six years. And I assure you, when I make air quotes on that, I'm using all the fingers I have. It's gotten harder and harder to find the mental time and focus to sit down and articulate into words that have to be typed out and then read by another person uh, all my experiences, and it's way easier for me to sit down and talk into a microphone. Probably way easier for you to ingest the information. You can put it on your iPod or iPhone or whatever and listen to it at your leisure. In each episode of my silent film music podcast, I'll talk a little bit about shows I've done recently, talk about reflections on the score or the instrument I played or the films themselves. I'll have a segment where I talk about shows I've got coming up, uh, I thoughts on the music and how I might prepare for a particular film or scenes I know that are in that film. And we'll also have what I call rules of the game in which I discuss my technique in accompanying a silent film, things I do, things I try not to do, Rules that I've learned from experience uh, through talking with other accompanists and things I've learned from Lee Irwin, who was my friend and mentor when I started playing for films many years ago. And then to break all of that up here and there in the show, I'll have a couple of minutes from a number of different live performance recordings from scores I've done. And let's just do that right now, shall we? 
Here's a couple of minutes from a live performance recording of my score for The Eagle, starring Rudolph Valentino. This is from a performance in April of 2012 at the Alden Theater in McLean, Virginia. McLean is just outside the Beltway, as they say, in the D.C. area. This was part of a monthly silent film series I did with Bruce Lawton from February through May. The piano is a Steinway A, and the recording was done on my iPhone, um, which I placed on the music rack of the piano, which was folded down. But it is still done on my iPhone so far in the uh, audio quality. Here's a couple of minutes from The Eagle. performance recording of yours truly accompanying The Eagle, starring Rudolph Valentino, a show held at the Alden Theater in McLean, Virginia in April of 2012. Recently, I launched a web series, of all things, on my YouTube channel, and I've made a project, this starting this year anyway, of transferring and scoring and posting where silent films in my 16mm film collection. Uh, these have new scores on piano and theater organ. And why do this? Why do this when there's no money? Well, th these are films that where I'm never going to get paid to play for these films. I'm never going to get paid to uh, pay, uh, to record scores for these for home, home video releases. These are films that are rather obscure, um, don't really fit into a program that I might be doing for the most part and really have very little chance, if any at all, of being on a DVD release. But they deserve to be seen, and in some cases these prints are th are things that I have that may very well be the only existing print. And if I've got a lost film and it sits in a can 
in in a shelf in my closet and nobody sees it it's it's still lost in a way so i'm trying to do this uh on 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 my free time and through the good graces of and favors of a couple of friends of mine who have 16 millimeter transfer equipment uh, so do go to youtube.com slash silent film music and there'll be a release every other wednesday for you to watch also recently I did a program of Mabel Norman films, films that were discovered in the last couple of years, uh, out at the Cinema Arts Center in Huntington, New York. It's out on Long Island. And uh, one of the nice things about that cinema is that they have uh, keyboard and MIDI organ pedals and a keyboard stand uh, for me to show up and put together this contraption, uh, which works as a virtual theater organ. You know, when connected with a laptop that has the Miditzer theater organ program on it, we patch it into the house sound system, and it sounds like we've installed a Wurlitzer in the theater. And one of the fun things about this series, it's its a monthly series that I've been accompanying uh, for the last six or seven years, and I've uh, been co-curating co it as well. Um, I'd done Head Over Heels at the Film Society of Lincoln Center a few years ago. It's a film that turned, it was lost for decades. Uh, it was uh, Head Over Heels was made uh, by, by Mabel Norman at Goldwyn in 1920 and was shelved and released in 1922, but shortly thereafter disappeared until it turned up in the basement of a private home in Massachusetts some years ago, maybe five or six years ago. And really outside of uh, a screening at Slapstickon and a few other festivals after it was preserved by the AFI, it really hasn't been shown much. And it's really funny. And it's a gorgeous print. So we ran that as well as a film that turned up at the New Zealand Film Archive uh, called One in a Cupboard. That's W-O-N. And it's a keystone comedy that Mabel directed. And that film has been repatriated and preserved by the Library of Congress. Nothing really earth-shattering to to talk about in terms of my my accompaniment, but something like with Head Over Heels, since I knew the film, uh, when I knew there's there's a fantasy sequence where she imagines herself as a movie vamp. So uh, because I'm working with a theater organ, I knew as soon as uh, we were getting close to that, I you know I had the the, the castanets ready uh, in, the, in the percussion section of the of the, uh, of the organ uh, to to fit the tango I wound up playing. But the audience had a great time, and it's just really great to see uh, Mabel up on screen and appreciated by so many people. I also re I also accompanied Raymond Griffith's film The Night Club at this Silent Clowns film series. And the Silent Clowns film series is a film series I've been producing for the last 15 years, along with Bruce Lawton uh, here in New York City. We do our shows on a regular year-round basis, and for the last two years, we've been partnering with the Library for the Performing Arts, which uh, is probably better known in the vernacular as the Lincoln Center Library. And Bruce has programmed a series of Raymond Griffith films. And Raymond Griffith is one of my favorite silent film comedians. Uh, his films are not shown much, and no one I don't think anybody's done a series of all of his surviving features, but we're presenting that this summer. One of the great things about the Bruno Walter Auditorium... Uh, well, there's several great things about the auditorium, one of which is there's a gorgeous Baldwin concert grand piano. It's in great shape, and it gets tuned on a weekly basis. The other thing I like about the space itself is that the acoustics 
have this unique quality that uh, I'm able to really hear the audience and hear the audience laughs. Uh, a lot of times I find that I'm in a spot where even if, you know, if it's a comedy, uh, if it, the film is just absolutely killing, I still don't hear the the audience laugh. And so from where I'm sitting, uh, I my reaction is, oh my God, this film is bombing and maybe I need to adjust the way I play to make it go over better. And then I find out later from any, you know somebody in the audience, oh my God, the, the audience you know, went crazy for it. So... Uh, Doing a show at the Bruno Walter Auditorium, that is, that element is completely removed, and and it's more fun for me, especially for a film like a, a Raymond Griffith feature where I'm just so much more invested in the film going over well because I'm such a fan of Griffith's work. And while we're on this subject, uh, let's listen in. I recorded the score. Uh, I I remembered to bring a real digital recorder this time. Uh, I have a Zoom H4 and placed it a couple of feet away from the piano, which I had the lid open on the short stick, as they say. Um, so you'll hear, here's a couple of minutes from my score for The Nightclub, starring Raymond Griffith, recorded live in performance at the Silent Clowns film series in June of 2012. a few things I've got coming up um, on June 19th we'll see the release of Percy Dove Tonsil's Speak a record that Ernie Kovacs recorded in 1960 but it was never edited mixed or released uh, in doing research and preparation work for my curating the Ernie Kovacs collection DVD box set I came across and discovered the original master tape that Ernie had recorded for the album. The album was never realized, but here was the unedited raw tape from when Ernie went into a recording studio for about an hour or so and laid down all the poems. And you hear him go in and out of character. And we weren't sure, you know, this is a, we don't know what Ernie intended. There's no notes left behind uh, as far as uh, the mix or anything. By the very end, Ernie does say, uh, 
Well, if we put 88 bars of music in between each line, it'll come out even. And figuring that there was usually some sort of music underneath uh, Percy when he was reading his poems uh, on television, um, I wound up recording musical underscore for Percy Dove Tonsil's Speaks. And it was, I got to tell you, it was kind of an eerie feeling uh, sitting with uh, headphones on, hearing Ernie talk as if he was somewhere nearby, near me, uh, and playing piano uh, to underscore each of the poems. Uh, but it's uh, it's very exciting, and we've basically picked up where Ernie left off. It's a record. It comes out on June 19th on vinyl, uh, limited edition lavender vinyl, and then after that, uh, the first thousand copies, it'll be on black vinyl, and uh, it's also going to be available for digital download and on CD. So go to Amazon or go straight to Omnivore Recordings to order your copy of Pursuit of Tonsils Speak. Also coming up is a three-day convention. Well, I don't know what to call this. Uh, it's being called a conference, but basically me and uh, 60, 70, or 80 silent film historians, fans, geeks, buffs, whatever you want to call us, uh, were gathering to watch unidentified silent films at the Library of Congress at their preservation campus down in Culpeper, Virginia. And we'll be screening stuff from the Library of Congress as well as MoMA, George Eastman House, Lobster Films, and maybe there's one other archive I can't remember. This is the extreme version of not being able to prepare for a show because none of us are going to know what's what's on... <laughs> what's going to hit the screen until it hits the screen. So there's really no way to... Pre- I mean, you know, even if I'm sight-reading a film, as I call it, uh, you know what the title is. Maybe you can look up a synopsis, even if you can't get a look at a screener. But uh, un- until they open the douser on the projector, and no one's going to know what that is, uh, let alone myself or Andrew Simpson or Phil Carley. The three of us are going to take turns imp- uh, improvising live accompaniment for these films. And on top of that, you know... Because there'll be a lot of people in the room calling out things like uh, recognizing actors or identifying what the film is or noticing certain things. It's, it's part of the process. We're under not only underscoring the film, but we've got to hold way, way, way back so people don't feel like uh, they have to uh, be quiet because there's music. The main thing is the film and uh, the conversation going on in the theater. So uh, it's, it's an interesting balance to strike, and it's going to be a lot of fun. In a couple of weeks, I'll be playing for The Crowd, the King Vidor film um, at the Cinema Arts Center. This is part of that monthly series I mentioned before. And in preparation for that, you know, uh, it's a film I play for once a year out at the Museum of the Moving Image. There's always a, a school group that comes out and screens it. And it's a film that I also played for uh, once or twice a year when I started playing for films because I started playing while I was attending uh, NYU Film School. So it's something I... I I knew a lot from way, way, way back. And also, it's it's something that's uh, in my consciousness. I don't have to really review it or anything in preparation for it. One of the things I did this time, there, there's a moment in the last reel where the young couple puts on a record and they dance to it. And there's a close-up of the label. Uh, because the song was a popular hit at the time, uh, a song called There's Everything Nice About You. Um, the film was released in 28, but the record, I believe, is from 1927. And... Really, most people have no idea what that song is or how it goes, and I've I've always just uh, improvised a, a song that, where the the melody and rhythm of it fits those lyrics, and it could just e- very easily be 
the actual song. But I thought, you know, what the heck? Uh, just in case there's somebody who knows the song, I, I went online and found, uh, there's sure enough on YouTube, somebody put the 78 on, on YouTube and found the recording and have transcribed it. So I'll have that ready to go. Let's listen to a real actual organ, a real actual Wurlitzer. This is a live performance recording uh, from April of this year. No, it was May. Sorry, May 2012 at the Paramount Theater in Middletown where I was playing on a real Wurlitzer Theater organ. There's a Wurlitzer that's maintained by the New York Theater Organ Society at the Paramount Theater in Middletown. There's a three-film series that's being sponsored or produced by the Never Sing Valley Area Museum of History, uh, and it's going to be in May, July, and September, and I've done shows with them before. Uh, the Never Sing Valley Museum is in Cudabackville, uh, Cudabackville New York. If that name uh, sounds familiar, it's because uh, D.W. Griffith uh, shot a, a number of his biograph films up there. And I did a program of biograph films for them a couple times at a local venue with an upright piano, but uh, the museum was able to secure funding uh, to be able to present these three shows at the Paramount Theater. Here is a couple of minutes from my score for the silent film Chicago, live in performance at the Paramount Theater in Milltown, New York. Live in performance at the Middletown Paramount Theater on the Mighty Wurlitzer. That's a few minutes from my live improvised score to the silent film Chicago from 1927. If you are in the area, do it's a do go uh, not only to the series I'm doing. They show classic films 
on a regular basis, and I believe the website is bigscreenclassics.com. And the next two films in the silent film series are going to be The Avenging Conscience, directed by D.W. Griffith, and then in September we will show Manslaughter by Cecil B. DeMille. Rules of the game. Let's talk a little bit about cross-cutting and music. And this is kind of apropos of my upcoming score for The Crowd, because this is a film where I got to learn a technique and put it into practice. Uh, When I was playing for the film in film school, I asked Lee Irwin about what do you do in a sequence where you're cutting back and forth from two between two different scenes or settings that may or may or may not be connected do you bounce back and forth musically or what do you do because it, it is really hard uh to sync it up i mean if you're going to do it you really have to nail it uh, if you're going to play to the action the on-screen action and what lee advised me to do and and this works most of the time and there are certainly exceptions uh where it's best to do the flip-flopping, but is to pick one side and stay with it. And uh, this is something I've... There's a particular scene about halfway through the crowd, and if you haven't seen the film, spoiler alert, uh, the young couple has a uh, has two little children, and the girl's playing out in the street. She is accidentally hit by a truck. There's a sequence that follows where the, 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 the father is in, absolutely distraught and sad and agonized and we cross cut between him and him trying to keep everybody and everything quiet to shots of you know fire trucks with the sirens blaring tearing around corners and back to the father and then a shot of you know a newsboy yelling extra extra and then back to the father and so rather than going from this quiet sad music and then screaming loud music back and forth I I stay on the father's mood. And I remember trying this, you know, the first time I played for the film in, in college, and it just is feeling really uh, effective because it helps get the audience and keep the audience in the mindset and the emotional state of the father. Uh, and so juxtaposing this this sort of sad, uh, anxiety-ridden, pensive, quieter uh, music against these high high action shots and then back uh, keeps you uh, locked in on his mental state. Now, this may not work for for Intolerance and some other films, but generally speaking, this is what I like to do for a scene like that. Well, I think Millie's trying to tell me that's about enough for now. And that wraps it up for... This first episode of my silent film music podcast. A chance for you to listen in and find out what goes on inside my brain before, during, and after I accompany a silent film. I hope you enjoy the program, and I hope you'll listen in again as long as there's another episode. But I think I ought to be able to pull this off. You can send me a message over Facebook or Twitter. In both cases, I am silent film music. All one word, and my website is silentfilmmusic.com, which reminds me I really need to update my performance schedule on that. Just a quick reminder, everything you've heard, both the talking and the musicking, is copyright 2012, or MMXII for you Romans, 
Copyright 2012 by Ben Modell, all rights reserved. Do not duplicate, reuse, or repurpose without specifically getting permission from me first. This is Ben Modell, Silent Film Accompanist, saying thanks for listening, and I'll see you at the silence. You've been listening to a reposting of episode one, the premiere episode, of the Silent Film Music Podcast with Ben Modell, which was originally posted on June 9th, 2012. Thanks.